Hi, welcome to episode 46, Hollywood Breaks. This week we discuss the blockbuster hit, Black Widow. What a great film that was. But also just the evolution of filmmaking. What's really happening in our industry? Is this Sun Valley Summit that's taking place, this house of cards kind of scene that takes place in Sun Valley every year gonna solve the problems that we need to? Or are we seeing a possible evolution of filmmakers and artists that are rebelling? <laughs> so, I went to the movies this weekend, and we saw Black Widow, by the way. Super great movie. Nice. Loved it. Oh, great. But as I was standing in line for the concession stand, I had to get the uh, extra large version of this. Because... <laughs> is, that a, is, that a, is that a small or an extra large? <laughs> this, is, uh, this is the small. This is only the size of the Oh, yeah, head. of course. So, it's only... Because the so bucket small. is the extra large. <laughs> but I, I saw this. I saw this cup, and I'm like, I got to get this cup. Because it says... So, right now, it is. It's July 2021. Yes. And it says promptly, Tom Cruise, Top Gun, nice. June 2020, right there on the cup, man. <laughs> These guys have been holding on this cup for over a year and that film is still not released. They got to they got to clear out, they got to clear out all the all the stuff. They have to just get it out of there. It's just a bunch of garbage sitting. You know, they got to clean out all the supplies <laughs> that have been sitting in in the back room for the last year. They're still year promoting this film. It was supposed to be released <laughs> over a year ago. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, well, it's coming out in November now. And I forgot to tell you this, Tim. I have it on very good authority, although I can't reveal who, because, of course, this is Hollywood Breaks, and we don't reveal our secrets. Right. Or who provides us with our secrets. Um, that is a very good movie. Oh, really? Worth seeing in the theater. So... Ooh. If that oh, if that might, you know, excite your appetite even more, yeah. given the fact that you were... You're amped as I'm as am I to see the movie in theaters, but I have it on good authority. It's a oh yeah, a great cinematic experience. Oh, that's excellent. Well, when's the release yeah. date? Do we have an actual release date? This cup clearly is not correct. Uh, I think it's in November. I think it's November, if I'm not mistaken. I th I have a feeling that Black Widow this weekend helped kind of give some confidence back to the theaters, right? I think so. Because one, by the way, it is a very good movie. I thought they did a, a great job. Uh, beats the hell out of Wonder Woman, whatever they try to do there with with um, trying to make women disappear. Wonder Woman. This is, in a very interesting <laughs> way, they obviously a female superhero character, but it's they didn't say it out loud. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, it, she just was a superhero. Oh, like, the yeah. first Wonder Woman did a good job with that, too. And that's what yeah. makes it exciting. That's what made it relevant. Um and then a lot of fun. There, it is a too long of an ex exposition um, at the very beginning. Like I, I think we could have right. trimmed down the beginning a little bit, but uh, I loved that. Uh, it was my kid's 16th birthday, and I took 10 boys to see this movie. Wow. So figure. You're a brave man. Figure that's the. Uh, <laughs> Either they went there because they love Marvel or they like it because it's a woman. <laughs> it's like really beautiful women <laughs> dressed like black widows. An attractive woman. And they're, they're about that age. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, Dad, I want to go to see Black Widow with my friends. Right. Uh, but pretty fun. But uh, great box office open. I think they 80 million Yeah. for opening weekend. Yeah. I mean, granted, and, you know, I'm going to, again, play the, uh, the role of the somewhat pessimist, as what I often do on this podcast. But, um, you know, they started out the weekend estimating around well, – let's back up here. So Disney estimated about $75 million, which is always – they always lowball 
because they want it to go, obviously they don't want to disappoint the numbers. So they say, oh, well, we're, we're anticipating 75. By, by Friday night, early Saturday morning, everyone was saying, oh, this could go, this could go 90 plus. This could be huge. And then by Sunday, it had dropped back down to 80 million. No. So the interesting part about that is you had saw around a 40 to 41% drop from Saturday, from, excuse me, from Friday to Saturday, which you don't typically see because typically Friday, Thursday night into Friday, Friday night are like the diehards. So those are like your Marvel super fans who will always go no matter what to see the movie because they don't want FOMO. They want to be able to go home and type in their computer and tell everyone, you know, everyone on their, their little blog how great Black Widow was or how not great it was. And then usually on Saturday and Sunday, uh, you have sort of like the families or someone who's like, okay, let's go to a movie. Where do we want to see? Oh, Black Widow's out. Okay, let's go see that. But apparently that did not happen. Now, you could argue that the reason that was was because it's also playing at home at the same time. So it's really hard to guess yeah, right. um, what exactly the numbers are there. However, I will say that on Monday, today, this morning... Disney actually released a very, or actually later, late yesterday, they actually released a very comprehensive breakdown of what it made globally. That includes international, domestic, mm. and on Disney Plus. Um, so this will be the first, as far as I know, this is the first time they've ever done this. Now the caveat is there's no way for us to verify whether or not their numbers are accurate. Yeah, sure. And how they measure who watched it. Is it the Netflix two minutes? Or is it some other measure that they use? We, we don't know. We don't know that. And we can't verify it. There's no way to verify it because they're just presenting it. Um, so overall, yeah, I think it did fairly well. Uh, it's on the lower end of... But what's the combined? Wasn't it like a hundred and 140 or something like that combined? For the entire weekend, it's $250 million worldwide. Wow. And that broke out to... Uh, that beat F9. Yeah. It broke out to 80... Domestic, 78 international, and over 60 in Disney Plus Premier Access. So that's their breakout uh, globally. Now that's globally. I don't know how much. Um, obviously, I think that spend on the 60 million for um, Disney Plus skews more domestic than international because I don't know how many territories Disney Plus has rolled out to yet. Um, but that's still an impressive number. Uh, but again, there's no way to verify it. And then, as I said, this is on the lower end of Marvel movies. Like typically a Marvel movie yeah, sure. blasts past a hundred million or whatever. And then this is on a lower end. It's still good, especially given the pandemic that, you know, we're still kind of sort of in, not really, but we haven't necessarily pulled ourselves out of it completely. So it's still a decent number. Um, but again, it, it goes to the sense that, okay, well, what does this mean for the future? Cause it's still the ongoing question here. Well, to me, the interesting number is the, $60 million on VOD because you, I would think that in the, in the previous model, you had your, we'll say a hundred, $140 million open weekend, which they combined the two together and you have a $140 million open weekend, but then you had a VOD release in the future and that brings in another 40 to 50 million. And here, what, if you ask me that $60 million, um, uh, Disney plus number, really is what they're taking from the theaters. Yeah. That's that's the obvious of like, this was old yeah. theater money that we're now taking mm -hmm. on Disney+. Plus. But they're also not, they're also taking it from themselves because they're missing that second time release when they could have made another 
20, 30, 40 million on second release and they're not going to do it. Because yeah. if I'm going to watch it Disney Plus on the first round, I'm not watching it on Disney Plus again, right? Especially right. if uh, the way the Disney Plus model works, it once you get past the premium time, you're just it's open and available at no cost. Yeah. So it doesn't hurt the subscription based part of it, but I think that that sixty million that's the obvious target that was once theater money that is no that doesn't show up on the, on the box office now. So um, interesting time for that. Uh, I think that's definitely a a thing that'll. I mean, it's, you know, we have um, CinemaCon. <laughs> coming up at the end of August, which is when all the exhibitors and distributors get together and present the distributors or ex- present their upcoming slate to the exhibitors. So it'll be interesting to see because in the last few years, it's sort of been this, you know, um, glasses half full sort of rose colored glasses mantra of like Netflix is great. It's, you know, it's another partner that we have. It wants to make movies. It's an awesome opportunity. And, Nobody was seeing the writing on the wall. Like, this is not good for the business as a whole. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, so it'll be interesting to see if that's a part of the conversation. Um, you know, because the other, the other flip, the other part of this sort of announced sort of this past weekend, um, the weekend of first, if you will, is where we had Kareem Daniel, who's the chairman of the entertainment media distribution division of Disney, who actually came out and, you know, was part of the release, which that's the first that that's happened. And um, Alan Bergman, who's the chairman of Disney Content Studios. God, that's a terrible Disney Studios. <laughs> you hate saying that, don't you? It's like... I hate saying that. It just sounds so... Ugh. Anyway, he was like, he was second build, which that's not typically how it usually goes. Usually it's you have the head of distribution from the theater of the studio side, and then you have either chairman or the producers or what ha- a combination thereof. But this was really Kareem's first step forward in saying, you know, this va- this validates what Disney has been doing over the course of the last year. Um, so, sure. you know, my big question is, what does this mean in terms of, you know, Bob II has said this is just temporary because of the pandemic. But if they're running in this kind of numbers, it'll be interesting to see how Wall Street reacts to it. Whether or not they're gonna be like, well, then you just got to keep doing this because this obviously works because that's sixty million dollars right in your pocket. You're not splitting out with anybody, it's right in the pocket. So, right, yes, it's being pulled from the theaters, but then it's going right into the pocket, which means the shareholders are gonna be like, oh, that's sixty million that's coming directly to us and my investment in this company. So again, that's gonna be interesting because I think Bob's gonna Bob Chapek is gonna have some issues with saying, oh, this is just a temporary pandemic thing because if that's the kind of numbers they're gonna start pulling in, then that's going to make the pullback even more difficult. You can hear the reaction though. Like I think the, the whole antitrust thing that Biden's doing is trying to play the other side of this conversation too. Cause you can hear the reaction of should a studio player be able to, to control this thing from beginning to end and the paramount decree, which, you know, we talk about it plenty of times in the last year, that was reversed just barely over a year ago now. Um, and now it's getting its first adversary of saying, hey, maybe just making the film straight onto your own platform, keeping all the money yourself, um, and the lack of competition or lack of other revenue streams that um, these studios are able to kind of take away from, um, you know, downstream from the, the release. Like, it's interesting. It's interesting to see how we're all kind of wondering and reacting to what's there. I, I'm my, my vote was count, counted by paying the theater tickets and going there and sitting and watching it. It's truly a way better experience than, than watching oh, yeah. it at home. Um, Absolutely. 
but there's a lot of power and might happening. Even even just with what Amazon's doing with MGM, like <clears throat> you know, all the Wall Street bets are even more. Like let's let's keep this momentum going and keep everything on a streaming platforms and not um, you know feed things <clears throat> downstream. So there's a there's a yeah. there's kind of a response that's happening right now. I'd be curious how how much this this Biden pushback is gonna. Mm -hmm have an impact on this? Well, I mean, it's interesting because the the industry itself was not directly attacked, you know, not attacked, but directly mentioned in the orders. It was more, it was like railroads, healthcare, you know, the, the obvious. Yeah, transportation. You know, industries that sort yeah. of have that, you know, governmental, somewhat governmental uh, um, supervision happening. But tech was... One of the big big players. It was more the tech was definitely involved, and I think yeah. that's where Amazon, you know, the Gafas of the world, Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Twitter, um, that's where they're more involved. Um, and I think it's interesting because this week was the return of Sun Valley Conference, which, for those of our lovely listeners who don't know what this is, um, it's a conference with all the big media and entertainment moguls who get together. They go out to Sun Valley, Idaho, which is this small, isolated resort. Um, it's sponsored by this investment uh, group. And um, all the, you know, the bigwigs come together. It's where the AOL Time Warner merger started. I believe it's where the AT&T uh, Time Warner merger talk started. So that's where all this is it sort of happens. Um, and, you know, there, obviously, the big talk was, you know, uh, Discovery, Warner Brothers, and David Zasloff came out and said, you know, we're not done yet. Um, you know, we still want to do more. Uh, and then you had, you know, obviously, uh, Sherry Redstone's um, a topic of interest because of CBS Viacom and what they're going to do. And Brian Robertson, Comcast, what are they going to do next? Um, there's a lot of, you know, that's sort of what comes out of this. And then on Friday, you had all these announcements that like, oh, wait. I want Joe Biden saying, I want the FTC and the Justice Department to take harder looks at merger. And at the same time, we hear that FTC has won supervision of the Amazon MGM merger, basically signaling that it's going to take longer than I think Amazon is going to want it to um, before that merger is either approved or potentially disapproved, which would be an interesting right. case study. And on top of all of that, you have Barry Diller, who you know has had his time in the studio world he worked at paramount fox at any given time he hasn't worked at a studio in like 20 years or so or maybe longer it's qbc wasn't very diligent uh and he came out and said i'm sorry <clears throat> wasn't the qbc guy too wasn't he the he was qbc he now he got involved in tech he just built an island in new york that people can go walk on or something i don't know um <laughs> but he <laughs> which i've been there it's pretty cool yeah but he uh he came out and just said the movie industry as we know it is dead um, and uh, you know, that's one point of view. Uh, mm. it, it could be accurate. I, I, I still am not convinced that it, the movie, I think the movie industry is changing. And there are, as we've talked a lot about in this podcast, there are a lot of changes that have happened over the last year that were good. Um, and that had been discussed for the last 10 years or so, but finally got pushed to the fore because they had to be. But at the same time, it's one of those things where you're unsure of what, where the future is going to go. And, this is not an industry that makes changes easily. Um, it does not have necessarily have leadership at this moment who is willing to make change and be leader leaders of change. Um, so it, it, that's sort of the ongoing question is... Yeah, the leaders are just getting sucked into these big contracts too, as we... 
Yeah. You know, the Spielbergs of the world, like, never mind, I'll just join them. (laughs) <laughs> like forget I'll just go to Netflix I'll stop gonna... fighting it <laughs> yeah yeah whatever yeah. I mean it goes to the eternal question and I think at some point someone is going to have to tackle this and figure out and define what is a movie what is it anymore and you know we had comments from Stephen Dorff this past week on an interview he gave to The Independent um, which was the basic gist of it is just there's so much content out there we don't know what's what it's just one giant cluster bleep that we don't really know what's what, what's where, what's what's this, what's that. I mean, and ultimately, we're going to have to answer that question. We could not agree with him more. That is exactly yes. what it is. It's a big well, that's pilot. what we've been saying for the last yes. year and almost year since we've been doing it. I think he's been watching our podcast and, and <laughs> knows. Yeah. To be fair, he did start out by attacking Scarlett Johansson and say, I feel bad for her. She's doing those crappy Marvel movies. I mean, obviously, that was to get attention. And we know that there are a lot of people who have the issue with Marvel movies, which is all well and good. Um, but at a certain point, someone's going to have to answer what a movie is. And, you know, we, we've seen that the Academy of Motion Picture Art and Sciences, which ideally would be the group to answer the question. Mm-hmm. And they haven't really answered it. They're just basically like, oh, yeah, Netflix, you just released a movie for a week and we're good. That's a movie. Okay, well, what if Lifetime decides to, or Hallmark says, hey, you know, let's get in the Oscar game. Let's release my movie for a week in the theaters, then I can qualify for, I'm considered a movie now, right? Because that's what, that's what you told Netflix is a movie. If they release it in an L, in LA, I think it is for a week or two, it's, it's eligible for submission. But I'm not really sure like the weekend guest is going to make the, uh, make the Oscars <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Hallmarks. I totally get it. That's maybe not necessarily, but my point is at a certain time. Although from l- last year's uh, contenders, uh, I'm pretty sure the weekend guests would have done a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah, it probably probably would at least been entertaining. Yeah, if they would have just pooped in a bucket during that Hallmark movie, they would have totally. <laughs> yeah, <if there's, laughs> then it would have been all good. But yeah, at a certain point, somebody has to answer that question: like, what is a movie? Because we don't know anymore. Now it's all just content. And the more and more, you know, I see what's on every platform and trying to keep up with it all. It's just. I'm starting to come down to like what Martin Scorsese was talking about in his interview where he's just like, it's all just content. Like, what does that mean? It's such a amorphous phrase that can include so much. And it's like when you have like a classic studio, like Walt, the Walt Disney Studios just talking about Disney Studios content. And it's like, okay, it's just, I don't know. I, it's, pretty it, gross. it's tough for me to, to come at this with, from a very positive perspective having worked in the industry for so long and knowing sort of the people who make these decisions, you know, I, I don't know. Like it, it's who, who is the defender of, of the faith, if you will, like who is defending the film going theatrical going experience right now, right now, the only person who's really stuck his neck out is Jim Giannopoulos with quiet place Two. you know, despite all the pressure he was getting from the big wigs at Viacom, he stuck to his gun and said, no, we're releasing this in theaters. And he's one of the only the few people who's actually done that. Yeah. Where Disney's like, oh, we're just gonna play it by ear. This is you know, and then Warner Brothers is like, here, HBO Max, take our entire slate. So Well, my I guess my expectation is there's gonna be some evolution of what the how we're gonna tell a story, the technology behind that story, and then the filmmaker wanted to get into the game, what they're going to do differently. And then the de- different deals they're going to make. Right. I mean, my, ex- my hope is, is that when it comes down to like the, the resource part of 
this game that there's going to be a, either a discovery or a holdout and the filmmakers are going to say, I'm not going to just make content. Like, don't the, the actors and actresses say like, please don't sign me up for another crappy Netflix movie. Just because you're paying my bills doesn't mean I should be, you know, putting on a fake superhero outfit. Um, you know, uh, Oscar award-winning actors should not be playing uh, Melissa McCarthy's sidekick on a fake superhero um, one-hour Netflix, you know, quote-unquote <laughs> film. Like it doesn't make any sense. And these, I think you just pitched a new show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like it's not like these things are not playing themselves out the way that a we'll say a professional career should. And that's the directors mm -hmm. and the and the writers and the actors. Like they they're all just being commoditized. So my again, go back to my expectation is there's going to be some evolution either in how we do it. So then it's then the theater experience makes sense again and people are going to it because there's going to be a certain yeah. experience or the talent themselves will hold out. There's a lot of people who are eager beavers for money. So I don't know if you throw enough. But there are unions. I mean, that's what the writer's guild is for, producer's guild for. I know, but I don't know if the union unions don't have enough pull. I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. I mean, it, it, you're right. It's definitely one of those things where it's going to have to adjust. But in a lot of the conversations I, you know, have with some of my clients, the first conversation I have is like, well, where do you want this to be? Like, what is your vision for this film? Is your vision that it just gets in front of an audience no matter where they are? Okay, great. Then let's talk about streamers on what streamer you think might be right for it. But if you're truly committed to a theatrical experience, then let's, let's attack that. Let's go for that. Because if that's how you vision this film being seen and experienced, then that's a different ballgame. And I, I don't know if there are filmmakers out there right now because I think the beauty of Netflix at the time when they first started was they would just give you a pile of money and say, go shoot your dream and come back and come back and see us in six months when it's done and we'll put it on the platform. That's right. And that was like a dream come true for a lot of filmmakers, Martin Scorsese included, who had been wanting to make The Irishman for years and no studio would touch it with a 10-foot pole because it was way too expensive. But if you back up a few years, and the reason I bring this up is because this past year, I think, was the 20th anniversary of Lord of the Rings. And Deadline ran an article about the, how that all came together. And fast forward 20 years, and can you imagine a Peter Jackson? He probably wouldn't even gone to New Line. He would have just gone to Netflix and said, here's what I got. Give me the money. And they had to give it to him. Now, can you imagine that experience on a small screen like Net on at home versus in a theater? It would have been a totally different experience and, quite frankly, not nearly as good. So, But that's sort of the, the economy that we're currently dealing with right now where it's... I'll say this, though, but I think that what he did in the Lord of the Rings movies was an evolution of filmmaking, too, right? Where he shot the series all at once. He understood the big picture stuff. He basically hired a cast and crew for five years to keep the thing going. And that evolution created a, an opportunity for theaters, filmmakers, storytellers to get together and do this. I think what Stephen Dorff is basically, you know, vocalizing is some of my hope here is that he's basically calling BS. He's saying, this is a bunch of garbage. Like, like <laughs> let's stop doing this dumb yeah. crap and go back to the craft that we have. Like, I, you know, I wish it was somebody of higher standard than Stephen Dorff. I mean, great guy, great career, but he's not the, the he's not the biggest voices. Yeah, if a, if a rock came out and said that, or I'm sorry, Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. Or if, you know, Christopher Pratt or even Scott Johansson or George, somebody. George Clooney. 
or George Clooney came out and said, listen, we got to get back to the basics here. Like we can't just be shooting content for the sake of content, which is really what's happening right now. It's just content for the sake of something to drive subs and reduce churn. Yeah. That's essentially what we're dealing with. Um, and one thing I will say about the Lord of the Rings, that was actually not Peter Jackson's idea to shoot them all at once. That was actually Bob Shea's idea. Sure. Peter Jackson came and said, uh, I just want to shoot one. And Bob Shea's like, well, that's dumb. Let's just shoot all three. B brilliant move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Peter Jackson's like, okay, let's do it. But you're not, again, it, it's just, you're I don't know if you're going to see that kind of thing now. And now Netflix, of course, is starting to act more like a traditional studio, giving more notes. It's They're taking pitches. Yeah. It's not just, here's a script, let's go make it. I mean, I'm sure there's still elements of that, but I think it's become more of a, uh, a controlled experience versus what it was when they first started, where it was just throwing money at whoever was interested. Um, so again, it, you know, I, I wish, I, I echo your sentiments that I wish there was somebody who would just stand up and say, look, we need to get back to basics. We need to slow the roll. Let's start defining what really a theatrical film is. And let's get back to that. And yes, there's going to be Marvel movies, but eventually that tide's going to run out. And where do we go from there? And there's an entire global audience of movie lovers and movie goers who are essentially being kind of ignored and just told, hey, just watch it on TV. And listen, there will be people that'll do that. Yeah, because it's the convenience factor. There are people who just say, "Oh, I'm just oh, okay. I'll watch Black Widow." But there's no, I, 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 you know, I can't imagine. I, I go to my childhood. I can't imagine watching Jurassic Park on a small screen. I mean, you can't tell me watching a Brontosaurus walk up in that first scene when you first get a full shot of a dinosaur jumping up and trying to eat the tree, and you have Sam Neill and Laura Dern just looking like basically playing the role of the audience, being like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. You can't imagine seeing that on a small screen and being like, wow, that's so great. <laughs> we do this often, but um, I'll do this again here too. But just just rewind yourself back to what the blockbuster evolution really was, right? So be before Jaws and Close Encounters and Star Wars and what have you, because again, like first Star Wars, probably like you and I, we there was one theater that was huge, had, you know, I don't know what, had 600, 700 seats in it or whatever and we'd wait in line for the showing and then we'd go watch that one up one star wars you know moment or whatever um but the but the blockbuster evolu evolution that took place gave birth to the multiplex right right so then mid 80s early 90s when there was a large film that took place there was a showtime at 7 7 15 7 30 7 45 you know like batman it was like just they took over 15 of the 22 theaters in the multiplex and the blockbuster thing was able to take place these huge opening weekends are possible the the evolution that we have right now is just there's another need for a score we know we're no longer in the blockbuster world we're not going to be able to look at the scorecard the same way we have OTT platforms and theaters combining the numbers um, somehow. But this new scorecard, which is still not yet defined, is what's going to give us the, that credibility to get yeah. to, hey, once we know how to keep score, this movie is a better movie than that movie. Right now, all the scorecards are hidden, so it's just content. It's basically like, hey, this stuff's no one's business. Just go make me any piece of garbage. And as long as it fills up an hour and a half of someone's time, cool my subscriptions are being fulfilled 
Yeah, you're right. I, I, I'd agree with you to a certain extent. I mean, but I also think Richard Rush, what Richard Rushfield has said since the beginning of the pandemic, this is a business of hits. And yes, we have to define what a hit is and what that means, but it still requires there to be hits. And well, Tomorrow War was a big hit. I mean, it's the what? best movie ever, okay. right? I mean... Come, I, I read it. <laughs> According to Amazon and Chris Pratt, yeah, it is. <laughs> right, right. I mean, they had like okay, three fine. million people watching it, Keith. I mean, they had yeah. they had one tenth of the of a viewing audience of friends watching Tomorrow War. It's clearly right. a gigantic hit. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, so that's a great case in point. So if you look at the numbers that were released now, there's a, a firm who sort of does the tracking, and I'm going to pull it up right now so I don't don't mess up the numbers. Um, uh, the firm that does it is called, uh, Samba TV. And I guess they, they track like 3 million smart TVs and they base, you know, on, if you watch five minutes or, or more of a particular film. So 2.41 million households of based by, according to Samba, watched Tomorrow War. Now to put that in context, um, Tom Clancy's Without Remorse was 2.3 and, um, Borat's subsequent movie film was 1.6 over three days, according to this tracker. So that kind of gives it context. Now, according to Amazon, both those movies were a hit. Yeah, two million. Okay, fine. Two million people or two million households. I'm not arguing with you. I, I agree. Yeah. I, that to me doesn't feel like a hit. And the other thing is, was anybody even... Because again, Friends, I think, was 30 million a week. 30 million We're talking about two million for a well, film. Well, again, it's just... Well, you know, listen, it's it's also about controlling the narrative. And right now, like, Chris Pratt was on Instagram on Monday morning. Thank you, everyone, for making Tomorrow War the greatest film in streaming history. I'm like, okay, great. Well, is that what it means? Because nobody I know was talking about it. I don't remember, you know, my wife's Facebook blowing up with, you know, go see Tomorrow War. Like, <laughs> so... It, 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 I don't know if it was a hit, but we never know because the streamers are allowed to be cagey. And as I've said before, yeah. until more you know investors, talent, everyone starts demanding more transparency, then this is the game we're going to play. Like, Tomorrow War is going to be a hit, and that's the end of it. Oh, we're developing a sequel because it was such a hit. Well, how the heck do we know that? I think our mandate from coming off of this episode is you and I need to create a scorecard. That's basically Ooh, okay. it. I like it can't that. be it can't be Rotten Tomatoes or thumbs or up or thumbs down. <laughs> Maybe it'll just be like how many old you know theater. <laughs> how many of those can you drink while sitting watching this film? How, how many Top Gun June twenty twenty <laughs> things can you drink in a? If you I haven't drink, it. if you've not consumed twenty seven, what was probably just forty five ounces of fluid, then you did not watch a film. That's the way the. If anyone works. from Paramount is watching this, you might want to have your in theater people reach out and uh, switch out those cups. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> this is Cinemark. Because yeah, you're going to create a lot of confusion. <laughs> Wait, yeah, yeah. Topcon already came out. What? Yeah, yeah. Can they just? If anything, may, oh, uh, the other thing is, it could be a uh, white out the little thing right there. It could be a brilliant subterfuge campaign because if you think about the customer experience, like you look at that, the thing about the conversation we had pre-recording, you basically showed it to me. Well, we might have had this when we were recording, but you showed it to me and you instantly said, when does it come out? Yeah. When does it come out? So you're going to go home and you're gonna like, wait a minute, is Top Gun Maverick already out? And then you're going to like, oh, wait, it's in November. Oh, I'm going to mark that in my calendar because I really want to see it. This is a perfect pandemic moment, by the way, because I... As I looked at this thing, I thought to myself, wait, did it come out? Did I see it yet? 
and, I, and, and you know, I can't remember the date, the time, or my experience for the last eighteen months. So that's this was like, wait a second, I, I, and I still don't have any clear information. You lost track of time. It's exactly how we all feel to the pandemic. What, what day of the week is it? So <laughs> you and right. I need to create a scorecard that is a little bit more clear. We got to get rid of some of this BS of like we should compare two million households to thirty million households and say no, it's a failure. We could easily say that, right? Yeah. Or be able to recognize 140 million or, I guess, 215 million worldwide in an opening weekend. Mm -hmm. It's it's pretty good. Like, sure, we're not, let's not compare to the blockbuster age of Batman Returns or whatever, you know, the. Or pre pandemic, really. Yeah. You can't really compare pre pandemic either. No, no, we need a scorecard for the new evolution of of films. Or, and I'm going to say films, I'm not going to say content. We're going to say. The, nice. the scorecard for the new evolution of film. And it's going to have sippy cups and Tom Cruise's face on it. <laughs> <laughs> this will actually be nice. the, this would be the model of the award that we're going to give people at the, at the award show. It's like the MTV movie award popcorn. That's like, uh, yeah. it'll, it'll, it'll be, it'll be a giant small cup from a movie. We'll be at the Beverly Hilton handing out these little <laughs> suckers right here. <laughs> In the ballroom. Yeah, it's a great ballroom. We get everybody to show up. Gotta get the ballroom. That's right. Mike Douglas. Right there at Mike Douglas's old stage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. All right. Good to see you. Always good to see you, Tim. Hey, by the way, we should tell people this was released a few days late because you and I are traveling. Yes, it was. Welcome back to Maine. It's good to see your old tromping ground. This is where... I'm back in my on my movie set. <laughs> This is where Hollywood Breaks got started, right there in that little cedar-lined room. Yeah, right here in this little office is where uh, where the where the dream began. And yeah, and your father-in-law does he think it's legitimate now that you've been doing it for a year, or does he like what the hell are you still doing in my office? <laughs> he's coming around. He's coming around. Yeah, I think he's coming around. He he still doesn't quite get it, but I think he's he's getting there. He he kind of understands the what's he doing up there in my office? I need my office back. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Well, welcome to Maine. It's good to have you there. Happy to be here. It would be cool to have a, a bigger view. We can be. I want you eating lobster at some point while we're doing one of these. I could do that. We're we're talking about when we're gonna have lobster, so maybe I could save a shell and oh, yeah. or record a live lobster and have one just hold one up so when you can look at <laughs> what they look like before you throw them in the pot. Wait, when do you leave there? Maybe I need to come visit you. We can be side by side, eat lobster and do this. Uh, well, I'm here for a while, Tim. I'm here till the end uh, end of August. All right, I'll put you on my schedule. I have a wedding at the, air, <laughs> at the beginning of August, but I'll find my way. But you can't pull a classic Tim Thompson and roll in the door and say, hey, I'm right outside. Why not? No, you can't pull that on me. You got to give me at least a week notice. It worked for Lydia. I showed up in Moldova one day. I'm like, Lydia, let's, what are we doing? Just <laughs> No, you got to give me at least a week notice. You got to give All me right, at least a one week. One week notice. That way your father-in-law can clear out the office. What's this guy? Another podcaster? What's going on? Oh, right? great. Just what we need. <laughs> you guys want to sell insurance at all? Because I can get you some real jobs. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you, my friend. And thank you, Lydia, from behind the scenes, keeping us going and on track as much as possible. Appreciate you. Connor, for all the help and research that you do. Keep these episodes coming. And for our fans are asking for it. We were a few days late and we were getting hit up on, on YouTube with all these requests. So it's great to have you part of it. Please, if you have not yet subscribed, subscribe to it on your favorite platform. I was just going to remind everyone that our uh, favorite Hollywood breaker, Robin Geisen, will be returning to the podcast on Friday. So stay tuned. Stay tuned.